Subscribe to NerdPod with Coach and K-Rock wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Two working stiffs that love comics, movies, games, and more bring their nerd conversation and observations to you. You're listening to Coach and K-Rock's NerdPod, where they give you their opinion on whatever they want. Hey, don't complain. You're listening to their show. Coach, K-Rock, take it away. Hey guys, hope everyone's been well. This is K Rock running solo while Coach is busy at work. Uh, so let's get going. We're gonna have a solo show today. It'll be a nerd pod light, but that's okay. Uh, Want to get you the content right. So what's new? So uh, as you guys know, we've announced on an earlier episode. I am getting married. We had our engagement party this weekend, and Coach was there. Uh, he's been slammed with a new job, wants you all to know he misses the show, and we'll be returning soon to do a full nerd pod, so that's coming up. Uh, well, of course, we were talking about some geek stuff, uh, what else do we do when we get together, uh, and one of the things that came up was the James Gunn uh, story about him heading to DC to take the Helm of Suicide Squad Part 2, uh, which we had mentioned in a previous episode, so um, here's the deal. The more we thought about it, it's a great move by DC. This is the talent that they need at the helm of the company alongside Jim Lee uh, to really run these stories and develop. So I, I it's a great move. Now, my thought here is, is um, about DC, though, is they should give up on the current universe that they're trying to create and move on. Because at this point, it just seems like a desperation move that they're trying to keep up with what Marvel has done on their side, which is 20 movies deep. And it's very, very successful. And it's done, right? That one's over. So bringing Gunn over to run a sequel to Suicide Squad or write it, it just seems like a waste for Gunn to do at this time. Uh, he's following up on a, a mess of a movie, which was Suicide Squad, the original, the first one. Uh, so I'd say let Gunn and Jim Lee, both of them, pick a brand new property, start fresh, and see where it goes from there. Take their time. Don't rush it. Don't be Marvel. Just be DC. Be what you're good at. Uh, so the sad part, though, to me here is the more I think about it, and again, we've talked about this, is that DC already had this. They had it with Christopher Nolan, and as you guys know, he's a very famous director, Uh it, Coach wants me to see it, but I haven't seen it yet. But he's directed Inception along with the Batman Begins, Dark Knight, and Dark Knight Rises movies, um, you know, Dark Knight trilogy. Uh, about, gosh, it's probably about 10 years ago now. But that was the chance. They had it. That Those three movies crushed it. They built uh, a universe there that could have been latched onto by other properties. I mean, there's plenty of Easter eggs throughout those movies that if you watch, you'll see they like, call outs. Uh, to different characters, different uh, people of the rogues gallery that never actually appeared in Batman. So there was ways they could have branched off and gone. Um, so I hope Gun crushes it. I mean, it only benefits the geek world when uh, DC is winning as well as Marvel. So we hope that they, they pull it together. And with James Gunn going over there, I, I feel it's a big win for them. I just hope they don't squander it. So come up, you know, come up with some uh, ideas on your own. What 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 properties from DC would you like to see James Gunn go after, other than Suicide Squad and then and Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, those types, right? 
what deeper properties would you like to see him take on? Uh, go to our Twitter at NerdPodesy, N-E-R-D-P-O-D-D-E-S-Y, and tell us what you think. So, also, as far as what I've been watching, um, on our side here, with Netflix, who just continues to put out great content, we've been watching The Haunting of Hill House. Uh, this is just an incredible show. It's a brilliant ghost story uh, about the haunting of a childhood home of uh, five siblings and their parents, and we're about halfway through it. And all I can say is, it, to, to get the buy-in of your significant other if they're not really into horror movies, but they're into, say, um, NBC type of shows, say it's like This Is Us, but as a ghost story, right? And you might get that buy-in and get them to watch the show. Uh, I highly recommend it, especially if you haven't started already. Start it tonight and watch it through from now till next hol- you know, next week, which is Halloween. And it'll just be great. I'll set the tone, get you in the right mood. Uh, I love scary movies around this time of year. So, and again, that just shows that Netflix knows what they're doing. They released it this month, and it turned out to be a great move. It's it's. It's highly, highly regarded. Rotten Tomatoes has it above 90%, so it's certified fresh. Um, people love to be scared. I mean, in Hill House delivers hand over fist. I mean, AMC, uh, on their side, they knew this early on. I mean, they had their Fear Fest going for a while now, for, for probably 15 years or so. And that's always been their highest rated moment amongst their entire year was during Fear Fest with all the horror movies that they would put on around Halloween, which is why they decided to put a show like Walking Dead together because it just tapped on that audience that wasn't getting their fix. Uh, So Fear Fest has been on. I've been diving through that, of course. I always have it on in the background. I love this time of year. All the great horror movies are coming out, but... My all-time favorite, even though I've seen a bunch of new ones this year, my all-time favorite still is Halloween. Um, and I saw the new movie last night. And I'm going to be getting into that new Halloween Halloween movie uh, later in today's show. Um, but before we get to that, I thought I'd start with a uh, abbreviated Week in Geek. Okay, so I'm going to jump right in. I have a just a few points. One is Bohemian Rhapsody. It's coming out November 2nd. And... The reviews are coming in, and what I was afraid of early on when I saw the trailers, I I had said something about it's something that's just off for me, and it sounds like my instinct was it might have been spot on. I haven't seen it yet. I'll see it next week, Um, but it doesn't look like it is um, as good as we were hoping it would be. Uh, 30, 30 reviews are in, uh, averaging about 53%. So that's not a good first sign. Uh, but the common thread is exactly what was making me nervous about it. Uh, performances are great by the actors. So that part is great. And I kind of figured that was going to happen. But the story of Queen that they're putting in this movie is a very templated version of a biopic. Almost if you've ever seen them, like uh, VH1, they used to put out biopics on bands and groups like The Temptations and so on, uh, The Jacksons, and they were always very safe, right? They they, they explored the story but never really dove into uh, the characters or, in this case, the band members, the actual people. And I'm guessing that's what's happening here. His Queen was a very complex band with a complex lead singer 
And each member of that four-member group, they all had an interesting story. Obviously, Freddie being the one everyone knows the most, but Brian May, Roger Taylor, and John Deacon were all, they all have great stories. And how they all worked together was just amazing and magical, and that's why the music is what it is. So it it sounds like to me uh, that this is going to be a good movie to see. I'm going to go see it. I'm sure I'm going to be happy with it, and I'm going to like it, and I'll disagree with these lower scores. But at the same time, it does sound like it's a safe biopic, okay? Um, so again, let us know what you think if you're checking it out. Next up, I wanted to go into the Spider-Man game that's been on PlayStation 4. This game is actually just, I, I played it through um, the main game. It's been smashing uh, sales records for PlayStation, uh, and that's great to see. The game is fun. It, for me, it's it's a game of the year contender. I don't think it's better than God of War, but it is definitely a contender there. So today, or probably yesterday by the time you heard this, the first downloadable content for The City Never Sleeps dropped. So I haven't checked it out yet, but I'm excited to get into it. Um, the story, from what I understand, it is heavily on Black Cat. And it sounds like with the void left over by the main story where Spider-Man, we get rid of all the crime out of New York City. Well, now there's a void and some crime families are moving in. Uh, I'm, I'm giving a very brief synopsis on this. I, I don't know because I haven't played it yet what the story is, but it looks like it's going to be Black Cat heavy. Um, I don't know if you get to play as Black Cat or not. I would guess probably not, um, but I hope you do. That'd be fun. Uh, at any rate, check it out. Let us know what you think. And finally, the third point before I get to Halloween is we've been keeping an eye on this Disney acquisition of 21st Century Fox. We know it's it's all but done. And the last thing I've noticed recently was the timing of this thing. It, it looks like it, it should line up with our early predictions, which was Q1 of 2019. But I've been reading some reports that Fox has been making some personal moves, personnel moves that could actually expedite the closing into 2018. So it's possible we could see this thing turn around in November, you know, as early as November or December, which would be great. Obviously, sooner the better um, when, you know, Disney starts getting the properties back into Marvel and we can start seeing those. What are they going to do with those movies that are supposed to come out under Fox, like uh, The Dark Phoenix, or uh, what they're going to do with properties like uh, Fantastic Four or X-Men? I mean, really interesting to see what, what's going to happen here. So I know that I've read that the X-Men will be connected to the MCU. Uh, I forget where I saw that, but that makes it very exciting, especially with the timing of Avengers 4 coming out and you start opening up the possibility of different, um, I guess, dimensions, right? So these things can all happen concurrently, so you can start getting interesting stories together and bringing in these newer characters that they just inherited from uh, back from Fox. So good stuff there. So I am now going to move into spoiler territory, so let me play the alarm. Turn away. We are going into a spoiler zone. So you've been warned. I'm going to get into the details of Halloween, and if you, again, this is your last chance to bail out, have not seen it yet, and do not want to know what happens or hear plot points, turn us off and come back later, or skip this all entirely, but don't forget to listen next week. Uh, so, 
I saw the new Halloween movie last night. I'm a huge Michael Myers. I'm a huge fan of the series. Uh, and it still stands as my favorite series for a slasher um, movie. It's the best that comes out around this time of year, right? Uh, Halloween is the standard bearer. There, to me, there's nothing better. Um, Michael Myers is intimidating. He's brutal. I mean, Jason and Freddy and all the others, they're fun, but they're just not the same to me. Um, they're they're way more shticky, played for jokes in Freddy's case. And even Jason, uh, I think they, they dumbed that character down even further than what he started to be. Michael Myers, why he always freaked me out is he's a human being whose only motivations are what a shark's motivations are, is always moving forward, always killing. There's no motive behind it. That's what makes Michael Myers special as far as a slasher is concerned to me. So while the others are similar, the quality and B-rated feel of those movies put them below Halloween. So if you're a fan of Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street. I love those movies too. Don't get me wrong. They're great. I watch them every year. But Halloween to me is just the better quality of them all. I think everything else came after. I mean, there are a few before like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, of course, and and earlier ones like that. But they've to me, the high point is Halloween. So the... First, if you're a fan of the series, then you're going to know all the sequels, plus the Rob Zombie uh, Tomb Film reboot that he did. And I never hated any of the Halloween movies, with the exception of Halloween Resurrection, which was the worst of them all. And, and it's pretty much unwatchable for me going for. I can't, I cannot, I see it on TV, I skip it, I, I, I never do that, but that one I cannot stand it. Uh, but the rest, I, I do like to watch them, and they're fun, they're slasher flicks. And they're they're pretty repeatable, dime a dozen, you know, from that time. Um, and starting with Halloween two, and including the zombie films, what they all fail on is in the same way to me. Is what we brought up is they they failed in in the way that they gave Michael Myers motivation by revealing that Laurie Strode in part two was in fact his sister. So now all of a sudden, okay, Michael Myers, his mission is to murder his family. Now you gave him a motive, uh, makes his character more predictable. Um, that, for me, all the sequels and the retelling by Zombie, that's what made the difference between the original 1978 movie and all the rest, was the motive. Michael never had a reason to kill, he just did it. From when he was a six-year-old boy all the way till this current movie, right, which we'll get into. And right in Loomis, he says it all the time. Michael Myers, Myers is nothing but pure evil, and he has the blackest eyes, nothing behind them. So that's the character, and that's why he's known as the shape in his movies, right? Uh, so by now, you, if you've been watching or are interested in Halloween at all, you know that the new movie wipes clean the slate uh, from part one and everything that followed. So basically, you have the original 1978 film on this timeline and then this 2018 movie. So it was a risk to do that, but after seeing it, it completely paid off. 
the writers, David Gord uh, Green, Danny McBride, along with John Carpenter being involved, they effectively reverse Michael Myers from that mystical druidic thing that they they kind of started getting towards the middle of the the original series run and brought him back into that original timeline of the 78 movie and he just became that original human being known as the shape in fact they even reference him as the shape in this movie which i thought was a, a great call out to the you know to the fans of halloween so the opening scene at the asylum uh kind of near and dear to our hearts here at Nerd Pond was it's a couple of true crime podcasters. They're trying to, you know, uncover the story of the babysitter murders of Halloween nineteen seventy eight in Haddonfield, Illinois. And they're visiting now Michael at the Insane Asylum uh, Smith's Grove. And really what they're trying to do is evoke some sort of emotion out of him. And we've all seen the trailer, you've seen the trailer, the one of the 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 male podcaster brings out the the mask and that's the big scene right the first time michael's seen the mask or is in the presence of the mask in 40 years um so that's what i'm talking about that's the scene we're talking about here it's visually just a stunning scene it's like a checkerboard and with all the 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 other inmates they're all anchored to a, a i believe it's like a nine or three by three block right that it's a safe zone to be not in that block. Otherwise, you might get hurt kind of thing. So they're there. Um, and it was crazy. The emotion that I was feeling at the time, I wasn't expecting to feel. I was feeling um, sad for Michael Myers. I was feeling um, empathy for him as a um, somebody mentally disabled who is certainly sick, certainly dangerous, but we don't, again, because we don't know the motivation, they're putting motivations on him, reflecting it on him, trying to get him to say what it was. They want to feel bad for him, get his side of the story. But Michael Myers just isn't going to say anything. He just does. He can talk, but he won't talk is what we hear. So what we're seeing chained up on you know to a block out in the courtyard to get his fresh air for the day is Michael Myers, a 61-year-old version of Michael Myers, I believe. I did the math right. Balding, um, very you know he looks like a almost like a grandfather you'd imagine. White hair. Um, you never see his full face. You kind of catch the the side of it a bit, but he does not look imposing at all. He doesn't look like he'd be a threat, but. And this, what was cool here was this was Nick Castle uh, playing Michael Myers, who played the original movies, Michael Myers and The Shape. So using the same actor was brilliant. Um, so one thing to note is in this movie, every time there's a, a scene where Michael doesn't have the mask on or you're seeing Nick Castle uh, playing the role. Um, and... His in this scene, Castle proved why he was the best Michael Myers of them all. Um, he's not doing anything, he's in his asylum clothes, so his I guess you would call it like his hospital gown, clothes, or whatever. Um, no mask is back to the the other people that are there, the podcasters and the doctors. And and he, like I said, he's not threatening, and in fact, you feel bad for him in a way. It's 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 very well done. This scene. And the more 
that the podcasters try to engage him to speak, throwing the mask around. He doesn't move or flinch or or you could just tell he's lightly breathing. And the more they try to engage him, all of a sudden, the more imposing his body becomes. And it's, I don't know how they did it. I need to go see this movie again to watch it, but it was amazing. All he did, Nick Castle, all Nick Castle did was stand there like a statue. And this is where Carpenter's genius comes in. Because the help of this, the scene, excuse me, the score into this scene, the music, it seen, it just spiraled and spiraled and eventually it just became out of control with all the other inmates reacting and Michael never, ever breaking that statuesque, uh, statuesque uh, form that he had. It was just a great visual, very creepy, very eerie, um, gave me chills. And it just, right from the start, I was bought in 100% to this movie. And then the opening credits happen. And I'm only bringing this up because, again, fans of the original are going to appreciate this. It went back to that original 78 style and proved that that less is more is what we really want to see with Halloween. Remember, the original Halloween was an independent movie made for $310,000 and went on to become one of the most successful independent films of all time. So that's really... Halloween does not need to have over-the-top special effects lots of CGI. It doesn't need that. So as you're watching the opening crawl and the, or the opening um, credits, we're, we're, we're quickly buying into, we're finally going to get that Halloween sequel delivered to us that we've all wanted for so long. So it was awesome. Um, great, great soundtrack in the beginning, good visual with the pumpkin, all the things you'd want to see. So, from there, I'm going to jump over to the other side of the story, which is the Strode family, um, which there's really only three members that you need to pay attention to, and that's the three generations. There's Jamie Lee Curtis is Laurie Strode, um, and then her daughter is played, uh, her daughter Karen is played by Judy Greer, and Laurie, Jamie Lee Curtis's granddaughter, which is Karen's daughter, is played by... Um, Andy Matichek, and her name is Allison. So each generation, which was interesting here to me, was each generation. They have been it's showing the impacts of what's happened since 78. Obviously, Lori is the most impacted because it happened directly to her. And then her daughter, Karen, uh, it would be the next in line to have some sort of effect coming in from that, that night when all the babysitters were murdered. And you see that. Uh, Lori was bringing Allison up as a survivalist because that's what she's always said. Michael's going to come back. He's going to break out. You need to be ready. So she's basically a doomsday prepper. Think of it that way. Training her how to shoot guns, fire bows, fight, hand-to-hand combat to the point where the uh, child care services has to step in because she's feel, they feel and everybody else in the, the community feel that Lori's abusing her and not giving her proper... Um, home so they take her away when she's like 12 or something and eventually she has her daughter and she's married and allison is the most removed from those events but she is still sensitive to them and she in herself is still a fighter because she's inheriting these traits from Lori, karen and then ultimately end up 
to her so she can fight, she can hold her own. She's not a weak woman in any sense of the word. Um, she's very, and that's always jumped out to screen to me was when I was watching this, they were strong. Um, all three of them, when they were on screen, I felt like we're, we're good. We're good. They were attached to the right people here. They know what they're doing. Uh, I think Judy Greer's character, though, Karen, which is Laurie's daughter, was the the most, in, turned out to be the, the one that I was rooting for most because the way it was written, and when you see this, you'll know what I'm talking about, you think she has forgotten all of her training, everything that uh, her mother had taught her, um, that she was weak, she was you know, screaming in fear, all the things that most other horror movies make you think uh, about women in them. This was purely a bait and switch. It was brilliantly pay, played off. Um, a pay, and, and during the, the movie, it was just one of those cheering parts, right? Uh, so great casting. I loved the three generations of the Strodes, and I think I think you will too. So the Strode side, what we saw during the movie... On, on that part of the story was them navigating the relationships that I had just described because they were all very strained. Each one had their own direct line to each other, right? So Lori to Karen, Lauren also had one to Allison, and they all had one to each other, right? So they all had certain ways and certain love and the way that they felt towards each other. And that was coming through really beautifully on screen. In fact, it, it, it was emotional at times, and I think they, they really hit that that nail to make you care for the, all three characters, which is a, not an easy feat to do in a horror movie. Um, so what we're looking at here is those strained relationships while Michael, he's busy um, escaping from Smith Grove to be re- reunited with his mask. Uh, stay eagle-eyed, by the way, on on this whole movie, because you're going to see things in the background that um, I was catching on a lot, like a lot of Easter eggs, but also, while, for example, Michael was, he had broken out of the Smith's Grove, and there's a scene where the podcasters are at the gas station filling out their tank, and Michael's clearly following them because he knows they have the mask, and stay eagle-eyed, uh, there's a scene where we were watching, but if you didn't look off to the background, you would never have seen this. And it's Nick Castle, you know, Michael Miles, Nick Castle, just in his heart, you know, his white hospital gown or whatever, brutally murdering, murdering the gas station attendant in the background while they're just doing something innocuous as trying to buy candy at the convenience store or something. And it's clear as day. It's in, it's in the middle of the day. And that was very unnerving. Um, I don't want to go too far into the kills, but I will say this, so I, don't, I think that's part of the fun, right, is we all get to look, watch them for the first time. And while I am in spoiler territory, I do want to keep some things back. Um, the movie has a high kill count. I think I read it was 19 maybe. And it's not, with that high of a number, you'd figure it would be a gory movie. It's not. Again, keeping with that original 1978 movie, they keep the gore down as much as they possibly can. And... It creates a higher quality experience. This isn't a torture porn movie like a Hostel or uh, Friday the 13th. 
or even one of the Rob Zombie's Halloween re, re, uh, re, uh, retellings, which were just grisly brutal. This is not that movie. This is, again, in the vein of 1978's Halloween. So back in, we're now we're back in Haddonfield, where the original story took place, and pe- everyone lives, and, and that seems to be where Michael is going. So it's Halloween night, and we know that's his night. So the shape, he's out in a, just on the loose. And this is where we see what makes Michael so frightening. He's, it's Halloween. He's got his mask now. And he's just walking amongst the people, the children. Um, they're interacting with him. I mean, he's not doing anything, but he's just on the street being, just walking. I mean, doing his thing, right? Um, again, having no motivation attached to him, you have no idea what he's going to do. And it it played beautifully in this movie and it was frightening to watch. He's basically, think of it this way, trick-or-treaters, you go house to house, you get your, your candy and you move on as a kid. Basically, that's what he's going to do too. He's like a house to house knife salesman. He's just going door to door, killing everybody. And it's just, that's what he's doing. One house to the next, to the next. No reasoning and that's it. And it's very frightening. And his, as you're watching it, it's just it's it's frightening to think about. He just would walk in the back door, and you're getting your popcorn, and next thing you know, you're bludgeoned to death. And then he moves on. He leaves and goes to the next house. Unbelievable. Um, it made me wonder, like, though, why does he decide to go after? You know, Laurie and her family. Well, because I'm, you know, with the no motivation thing, and no longer is the storyline that they're related. So that's removed. So why does he he focus on Laurie Strode and her her family? Um, well, I'm glad I asked. <laughs> so from what I can tell, is and I don't think I'm too far off base here. Is Michael would have just gone on with his night doing what he did. Lori went looking for him. She's hunting Michael and she finds him and he sees her. They interact. There's a maybe gunshot or two. And then Michael, he's not a dummy. He recognizes her and now he's got his, his sights on her. He, he's, he's angry. That's the one that got away. So now he, he is motivated. He wants to get to Lori. She's trying to get, you know, to kill him. So, because Lori went after Michael, she put at her whole family at risk. They could have been fine without ever going. He wasn't going after her. I never got that sense. It wasn't until she went after him and he saw her that he decided that was it. And he just learns about the other, the, the daughter and the granddaughter as he's progressing towards Lori. Those, think of it, those, it's like a funnel. Eventually, they're going to meet at that one point. And that's what happens. He he connects the dots eventually the closer he gets to Laurie's house. Um, really well done. Again, I, I was it, it's it, it gave him a motivation without giving a motivation. It was simply, you're in my way. I'm going after you now. And I do remember who you are. <laughs> uh, so the victims in this movie, because there is a lot of them, this isn't like a... Situation like in Friday the Thirteenth, what makes that move those movies fun are 
they cast those counselors and and the teenagers to make them not they make them terrible people. I'm just gonna say it. They're not fun people. There's always that one that is or two that you you root for. You want them to pull through and get out of the end without being killed by chasing. For the most others, they're just they're not nice people. So you're actually going you know, you're behind Jason. It's like, yeah, <laughs> rooting for him to get to him. Well, in Halloween, and this is just a great call by David Gordon Green, who's the director uh, and the writer. He makes you learn just enough about Michael's victims uh, that you're attached to it. And it was masterfully done. Um, the one in case that I could think of is there's a babysitter. And in any other movie, she could have easily had been the, the main character. She was heroic. She wasn't scared. Uh, she saved the kid. Uh, she was respectful enough when she had her boyfriend come over that they they weren't going to fool around enough to you know hurt the child or anything in terms of like they were neglecting her. She was she was great. To, she was great on screen, and you you for a second you're thinking, man, I think she's going to survive. She might turn out to be a, a main character or a side character. Uh, and then the inevitable happens. She, Michael does not let her survive. And you feel bad. And I can't think of another movie that really effectively did that. Even the original didn't do that. Laurie's friends, we liked them, but they had they had flaws. And they never really came off the screen and made you want to care about them. Like some of the victims do in this version, you know, this this. Um, sequel of Halloween. So I'm not going to reveal the ending. So if you have not seen it yet, I I, I want to at least leave something unspoiled for you. So I'm going to leave the ending alone. Um, But I do want to bring up the post-credit quote-unquote scene. Uh, First off, it's very short, so it might not be worth it to stick around for most people. I did, but what I recommend is researching that post-credit scene on your own if you want to, because um, the movie itself is short. It's only about a 90-minute movie, so it's not too bad if you wanted to, to, to wait it out and, and see for yourself, uh, but I'll say this. Even waiting the 90 minutes, and I stuck around for it in case there was one, um, and there is something there, it's... Still, not might not be worth it. You might at the end of the day, so you know that wasn't worth it. Um, so, K Rock is not going to tell you to go wait for it. It's you might want to do your own research, check it out, or you might feel like I did. This is such a short movie that waiting another five to ten minutes th- through the credits, you know, while listening to the the score from John Carpenter, um, is going to be worth it for me. It, it was fine. It really didn't change my outlook on the the movie one way or the other, or even if there's is a possibility of a sequel. It's just, there might never be uh, to this one. So we'll see. I know there's talks that there could be in, in this, in which case then this post credit scene makes sense. If there's not, it still doesn't matter. Think of like the Evil Dead remake where at the very end, the post credits scene is actually Bruce Campbell coming back as Ash. Um, it didn't really have any impact on that movie at all because well, there never was a sequel made. So anyway, I digress. Post credit, there is something there. See it if you want to. It may you might at the end of the day just feel it wasn't worth it, and that's fine. So, 
on our Rotten Tomato predictors, Coach and I did a couple you know earlier on. Uh, my score in this was a seventy five percent. Coach gave it a forty eight percent. So right now, currently, it's at eighty percent on Rotten Tomato. So clearly, we were in at least I was in the ballpark here. Overall, this is a clear thumbs up movie and the best Halloween movie since the original. Hands down, I have no questions. There's no other one that compares. For the genre Halloween, uh, this for the genre, um, like the slasher genre, Halloween is head and shoulders above all the rest. So if you're into scary movies and you don't want that gory, over-the-top, you know, kind of we're just being gross to be gross type of movie, this is for you. This is a fun movie. It, it's a... Certainly want to make you jump a few times, but nothing that's going to upset anybody. Um, if it's rated R, if you have a, a child who's maybe not 13, but I'm saying maybe 14, 15 or, or older, and they're into this type of thing, it's probably a good one to go to. Um, there's no nudity. There's no over-the-top um, sex scenes or drug use or, or anything like that. It's fairly tame compared to a lot of the other movies that are out there. But they just do it better. Um, so that's it for this week, everybody. Um, I appreciate you sticking around this far, listening to me drone on a bit about Halloween. This was a movie I've been waiting a long time to see since they announced it. And I couldn't have been happier with the results. So well done to that team over there. Um, I do hope they make another one. If it's as good as this one or even close, I'll be very, very happy. So that's about wrapping it up for today. Please tell your friends and families to check out Nerd Pod with Coach and K-Rock. Coach will be back soon. And if you have any thoughts, comments, suggestions for the show, please go to our Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram and uh, let us know. All right, boys. Let's close it down. All right, boys. Let's close it down. You see that I'm dying Look at you man Doing all you want it against me Like a goddamn bull So close to close My skin starts to glow Sweat pouring down Singing in my life You have been listening To NerdPod With Coach and K-Rock From Podacy Entertainment Be sure to follow Coach and K-Rock To stay up to date On all upcoming NerdPods And Podacy programs On Instagram Which you can find them At Podacy That's P-O-D-D-E-S-Y On Twitter which is at NerdPodacy, which is N-E-R-D-P-O-D-D-E-S-Y, and Facebook. They're at NerdPod.